When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Homeland Apple Sources Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week just by Lucas Vlahos. Lucas, how's it going? I'm doing okay. We got a bit of a skeleton crew today. Well, that's why there's so many of us, because yes, we're a lively bunch. Well, I was I was hoping to to pick everyone's brain on the uh, well, as people probably know, I'm gonna waste your time here for three minutes. I never really played organized baseball because I couldn't hit as a kid because I have a lazy eye. And now I like want to pick up some soft up uh, like to be on a softball team just to screw around on the weekend. So like, hmm, I should go learn how to swing a bat. And I've been doing that. I went out this morning. I want to like, since you guys all played, I want to be like, how do you guys learn how to swing? But no one's here to inform my opinion and or give me insight. So I will remain ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> well, the very little like little league uh, stuff that I did, and and what did I, I was in high school like on the bench for like a couple of weeks, and I was just like, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I was very bad, so you can't mm-hmm. you can't uh, get anything from me there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like I've watched a lot of the like public facing high level swing instructor stuff, but that's not super relevant if you can't like actually impact the ball. And I'm not sure I can. So, um, baby steps. It's, if it's, it's softball. Yeah. Like then, soft, you know, softball. Cause Lord bunt. knows I'm not gonna be able to hit a real pitch. <laughs> bunt because no one will see that coming. <laughs> that's a real dick move. If you're just bunting every time. Like some poor sod is slaying third base. Like, come on, man. What are we doing here? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's a good t- the, the the limiting factor aside from having time to go to the park and swing is how many swings can I get off the tee before my back starts hurting, mm. which is just a wonderful part of you know getting older. Yeah, I hear you there. You should take what did I start taking? Turmeric pills. It's supposed to be good oh for God. inflammation and such. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Wait, you're the youngest one out of all of us. Yeah, and I've also had the most orthopedic surgeries out of all of you. So that you know, is true. That is very true as well. In, in I may be young in years, but I'm old in ligaments. <laughs> Never good. No. All right. Um, just quickly, we'll go over how the Mets teams did this week because we have a lot to get to this week. Uh, Syracuse. Played the Worcester Red Sox. They had another bad week. Go figure. Uh, they went one and four. Last game of the series is taking place right now as we record. So who knows how it ends? Odds are it ends with another Syracuse loss. But they were nine and seventeen coming into the week. Now they're ten and twenty-one. They are nine and a half games behind the Norfolk Tides, who 
Um, they're on a winning streak now, and they recaptured first place from Buffalo. It's, it's more exciting to see the other watch what's going on with the other teams than it is with Syracuse, which that's how you know it's pretty sucky. We didn't even have fun Luke Ritter this week. He didn't homer. No. Uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they, they've been playing well, actually, of late. Um, they they took the series against the Reading Fighting Phils last week, 5-1. and one. They're currently this week 4-1 against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Same thing, last game of the series is taking place late this evening, so who knows what happens there. They are, though, 8-2 and two in their last 10, potentially 9-1 if they win that game. Uh, they've really jumped up the standings. They are finally above 500 now. They're 16-15, and 15, and they're just two games behind the Somerset Patriots for first place, and they're going to be playing the Patriots this upcoming week. So when Ooh. we record yeah, when we record next week, Binghamton potentially might be in first place. Who would have seen that one coming? I, I mean, they got some trade deadline reinforcements. Christian Scott might be legit. Um, I think we'll probably talk about that more next week. Like He struck out... He had a weird start yesterday. He struck out 11 and four and a third, and he gave up three runs. But I don't know. I'm I'm kind of in on this Binghamton roster. There are a lot of pieces I like. I've been consistent. Like the most consistent comment I've had doing the farm reports every week is, "God damn, this roster is boring as fuck." <laughs> and in the last month or so, it's no longer boring. Yeah, things have gotten interesting. Um, Brooklyn Cyclones played the Jersey Shore Blue Claws, and as of right now, they are losing the series 2-3, to three. Um, but they're playing right now as we record, so the Cyclones have a chance to split it. They are 22-13 and 13 right now. Hopefully they you know, get that win. And about two weeks ago, Brooklyn and Aberdeen were basically tied neck-and-neck neck first place. And since then, the Ironbirds literally have crashed. They're Zero and ten in their last ten games, so they went from basically being in first all the way down to fourth place. Uh, they're four and a half games back, and Hudson Valley Renegades and the Blue Claws both jumped over them. So, uh, sucks for the Ironbirds, but so good for Brooklyn. Sucks. To sucks. Mm-hmm. Who are the Who are the? Uh, they're the uh, Orioles affiliate, Orioles. right? Yeah, 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 it's surprising. There's some good prospects on that team, if I recall. They've got like Wagner and Beavers. Also, I'm on their website. They have Star Wars Night on the August on August 18th. Always a good thing. The Ironbirds or the Cyclones? The Ironbirds. Ah, I'm always I in think... favor and supportive of Star Wars Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Lucie Mets. They play the Daytona Tortugas and the Daytona Tortugas, one of the only Florida State League teams that don't have stat cast, so they really need to get on that. But <sighs> the two teams split their series so far, two and two. Uh, rubber game is later tonight. Uh, you know, going two and two didn't help St. Lucie in the standings much, and there's still five games behind the Jupiter Hammerheads first place, but they finally got to double-digit win total, so... That's good. They're the last Florida State League team to get there, but at least they got there. How many games are there in this in like a half of season at A ball? Like like sixty ish, maybe, yeah. You had to go like nine and fifty one or nine and fifty two or something. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. It is the best. I think uh, the the Charlotte Knights, they still I think have five wins in the second half. So Jesus. Yeah, not great. The White Sox have uh 
White Sox have a lot of problems. The, the, the White Sox <laughs> just generally are a problem. I think yes. that might just be the, the better way to put it, frankly. They, they, they are a problem. They're causing problems. They have lots of problems. Uh, last but not least, the FCO Mets, and they had a really good week. They, there was a lot of doubleheaders and things like that, so they went 5-1, and one, and they also had a, another game suspended until mid-August because of rain and weather, so they are currently 25-14 and 14 on the season now. All right, so uh, last week we discussed the moves that the Mets made just prior to the trade deadline. Uh, they sent Max Scherzer over to the Rangers in exchange for uh, Luis Angel Acuna, and then they sent David Robertson over to the Marlins in exchange for infielder Marco Vargas and catcher Ronald Hernandez. The the trade when was the trade deadline? This past Tuesday or Monday? Tuesday, yes. Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay, so we knew obviously the Mets were going to be sellers. Um, you know, it was pretty much all but guaranteed that Tommy Pham is going to get traded. We knew there was a pretty big chance that. Marcana, Omar Navarez, Justin Verlander, Brooks Raley could be traded. Um, you know, honestly, uh, in theory, anyone not named Francisco probably could have been traded um, yep. if there was a good deal to be made. But uh, it would have taken a lot to move Pete. Like, oh yeah, no, lot. I'm not. I'm not saying it was likely, but you know, you gotta gotta entertain. I guess the the, the conversation. Sure. Um, bunch of moves that were made. Some, like I said, we kind of expected. Some kind of came out of left field. Before we get to what actually happened, is there anyone that you're surprised wasn't traded? I am surprised that Brooks Raley was not traded. Yeah. Um, the market was super hot. Uh, what did Andrew Chafin fetch? For, yeah. Andrew Chafin trade. So Andrew Chafin has been like pretty mediocre this year. All I got was Peter Strzelski. Jeez, that's nuts. Um, I don't know exactly what Brooks really would have returned, frankly. Um, clearly, and we'll talk about this, the Marlins play, paid a premium for David Robertson. I don't know that other teams paid the same premium for relievers. Um but it seemed like a pretty strong seller's market. Rayleigh's been quite good this year. He's also old and has a but has a relatively affordable option for next year. Seems like a guy that literally any contender could have used. Um, and in my opinion, relievers are so mercurial that when you're selling and you have a good one, you should capitalize. So I, I was pretty surprised Rayleigh didn't go anywhere. Ottavino and Narvaez haven't been good enough to be moved. That doesn't surprise me. And... Uh, yeah, basically, I thought they might move Quintana, but I guess there just wasn't enough. Uh, it's weird to me that teams would have been concerned about his health, given that it was like a just a, a, a growth. It wasn't like an arm thing. So I guess Quintana as well. Yeah, he Quint- didn't have a, a baseball injury. Right, right. He had like the non-cancerous rib growth, and he's looked he's looked like Jose Quintana since it, since coming back. I thought a team like, I don't know. The Orioles, the Dodgers, some team could have used him, but it's fine. I don't mind hanging on to him if nothing good was available. <laughs> I mean, hey, someone needs to pitch for the Mets, so. <laughs> yeah, and they have him for next year. Like, if, if Jose Quintana is your fourth starter, 
in a year you're aiming for the wild card, which sounds like basically what next year is going to be is something of a transition. That's fine. Who is who is on the? Let's see. They have Senga for next year. Yep. They have Quintana for next year. Yep. Carrasco, I do not believe they do. Carrasco they... is gone. Yep. Okay, yeah, Carrasco is gone. And then so basically just those two. Yep. It's those and then two. you have your your assorted, you know, Robert um, Petersons and Lucchese's and whomever else. Miguel. They Who are. Else? I think they're widely considered the favorites for Yamamoto. Like I'm. I don't think I don't think Otani's going to come here uh, at this point, so I've kind of moved past that. But I'm I'm comfortable penciling uh, Yamamoto into the the rotation for next season, and that'd be pretty nice. And there are a number of like there are actually a lot of good upside plays they could make on shorter term. Like I don't I think Cohen's still going to spend, so like he can go sign Jack Flaherty and James Paxton in addition to Yamamoto, and then you have a pretty interesting rotation. Like there's a path. Um, Anyway. Yeah. All right. So um, the least likely trade, I guess, the one that we did not see coming, the one that came out of left field, uh, the Mets traded Dominic Leone to the Angels in exchange for Jeremiah Jackson. What are the Angels? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Leone is 31, uh, 440 ERA in 30.2 innings out of the bullpen. So not really a prize for anyone i don't know but he's a, a cheap bullpen guy he was good as recently it was like 2021 so maybe they want maybe they think he could bounce back in the second half with them they're a couple of games back i don't know the Mets literally signed him when the rangers <laughs> released him from triple a earlier in the season yeah like this was a dude the Mets should have dfa'd after the deadline so they could audition internal guys for next season so getting anything is like okay thanks yeah um but you know it, it is important to point out that you know the the return is valued in proportion to what was given up so mm-hmm. don't get your hopes up on jeremiah jackson um no he was a, a fairly high regarded prep prospect um back when he was drafted in 2018, he was the 57th pick overall, um, had a commitment to MSU. He wanted to go pro and ended up signing with uh, the Angels for $1.2 million. Got off to a quick start. He put up good numbers early on, but his career kind of got off track in 2021. Um, he had a quad strain and he was limited to 45 games. Um, after that season, the Angels pushed him up to double A and he struggled. He repeated double A this year. He did marginally better, um, but struggled <laughs> through three games with Binghamton. He's hitless, so that qualifies as struggling, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, the dude can't hit. Like it's that yeah, simple. Exactly. He he has some some good power. He's got power, but the hit tools are really bad. And obviously, you know, when your hit tools suspect, that limits the the in game power that you're able to tap into. Uh, the swing is long. It's uppercutty. His play yep. coverage is basically limited to just like the bottom quarter of the zone. Yep. So stuff that's hittable, you know, thrown like down and in, he can get to. But stuff thrown up, he's not going to be able to catch up to. Stuff away, he's going to chase. Not, uh, not, not, not optimal. 
No, um, I mean. But again, the Mets ahead. got him for Dominic Leone. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I and I think I think there's there's if you're trading for this dude from like this is almost going back to that concept I, I always allude to when talking about sleeper draft picks, right? If you're trading for this dude from the Dodgers organization or the Orioles, like I'm pretty confident that they've done all the smart things to try to fix him and we're probably wasting our time. They're picking him up from the Angels. The Angels literally haven't developed a good hitter since Trout. I mean, yeah. I mean, Zach Neto looks pretty good. Uh, they traded for Logan Ohapi. Brandon Marsh was bad with them, and then is now good with the Phillies. But my my point is, this is not exactly a standout development organization. If anything, it's one of the worst in the game. So. I think there's an idea here that, okay, we're going to get him in the system for free. We'll give him some off-season assignments to to fix stuff. We'll work with him. If it works out, okay, cool. And if it doesn't, well. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, they got him with Dominic Leone, so it's not like they gave up anything. It's a gamble worth making because why not? And he does have some – sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, you leave him – if you leave him unprotected in Rule Five and someone takes him, okay, that's fine too. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> you can hang on to him for a year or two and and see what you can make of this. Exactly, and he has some defensive utility at least. So if he is sorting out his hitting issues, at least you know you don't need to say like, God damn, like you know we're we're, we're stuck penciling this guy in every day at third base and mm-hmm. it sucks. You know he's. He's got ranged arm, the instincts to play in the middle infield and in the corner infield. He's got the range in the arm to play in the outfield. He he's logged um, a lot of innings at second and third base. He's logged a lot of innings at shortstop, left field, center field. So he can be plugged in basically anywhere in uh, I guess the Binghamton lineup. Sure. And yeah. Interesting, interesting player um, worth taking a gamble over. Like you said, uh, if he gets taken, you know, he retires tomorrow, whatever. It's like, okay, well, cool. Nice note. Literally Dominic Leon. Exactly. Uh, Next guy up, we knew there was a possibility he'd get traded, Mark Hanna. And the Mets traded him to the Brewers, and in exchange, they got right-handed pitcher Justin Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis was drafted by the Brewers in the fifth round of the 2018 draft out of Lake Norman High School in Mooresville, North Carolina. And he was he was also a high-profile prep pitcher. He's actually one of the best in North Carolina, according to Perfect Game. Um, Milwaukee was able to get him to forego his commitment to UNC Wilmington. Uh, he wanted a signed pro. And he signed for the exact slot value of the, the fifth round pick, uh, three hundred and twenty-seven thousand dollars, basically. Um, his professional career since then has kind of been so-so, not good, not great, not bad. Five seasons in the minors total. He has a cumulative 4.27 ERA and 385.1 innings. At 76 starts in 90 total appearances, so he is basically primarily a starter. 
Um, 8.2 hits per nine, 4.2 walks per nine, and even nine strikeouts per nine. His he's he's thoroughly average. <laughs> I'm a little uh, higher on him than that, actually. This is interesting. There, there are things to like. Um, the fastball on the surface doesn't. It, it's nothing too special. You know, low to low to mid 90s, 1994 averages 92. Spin rates are all right, but the axis of the spin, he gets some good extension off the mound. The the it really has a lot of ride and it jumps up on hitters. Um, he complements it with a slider. A curveball, splitter, nothing projects as much more than average except for his slider. It flashes a little bit better than average. Um, biggest issue with his arsenal is that he's he's pretty hittable and he's pretty fly ball prone. And when you're hittable and fly, fly ball prone, sometimes those hits that are fly balls turn into home runs. And especially last year, he had some issues with uh, the long ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's not like Tidwell, Dominic Hamill, Mike Vassell, Christian Scott are like lighting the world on fire. They're not like can't miss prospects, but I'd say Jarvis is like a tier below those guys for me personally. You are a little more high on him. Where do you where do you see him? Yeah, I mean I think he's taken a big step forward this year, but there's uh, like the fastball has played up. The he gets good vertical uh, uh, induced vertical motion on it. He has kind of a big over the top delivery that makes it almost an invisible. Um, and the slider, to your point, played up a lot this year. Now the confounding factor is that that was in Double A, which was the tack ball. He was in the tack ball league. Um, so how much of this improved fastball, improved slider is the different ball? How much is actually him? Difficult to say. Um, but I think there's a real chance, like you're looking at a, if he, if he's just a cromulent up and down fourth, fifth starter, like that's actually something the Mets, as we well know, mm-hmm. really need. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I was, I feel like he's more of like a Budo kind of guy, like a moderate low ceiling uh, guy that has uh-huh. occasional emergency start, but is more or less like a high minors guy. that's just going to get most of his innings in like triple A. I think I think he's better than that. I like the fastball more than Jose Budo's. I I mean, neither of them have a breaking. Like if I, I think Jarvis's breaking ball is better than Jose Budo's. I know Budo's changeup was always his calling card, but I never found it. Oh, I, and it destroyed people in the minors, but I never found it all that impressive. Neither did major league hitters. No, no, they certainly did not. So, uh. I mean, look, you're not. Mark Hanna is a basically a short side platoon league average outfielder with declining defense and health management questions on a one year deal. Um, and Jarvis is a nice a nice get for that. Like, I think the Mets did better than you would have expected otherwise here because they targeted someone that's going to be have to have to be added to the forty man roster, right? Like. The Brewers produce a, du- a bunch of arms. They're very good at this. Um, Jarvis might have been someone that got squeezed out and could have gotten popped in Real 5. Real, re- meanwhile, the Mets have plenty of room on their 40-man next year for uh, a usable up-and-down fourth-fifth starter type. Um, 
So I, I think that I think this was a nice bit of business here, honestly, for for Mark Hanna. Um, and if and if the, and if you're and if the bet on the tack ball gains don't work out again, it, it's it's fine. You gambled for for Mark Hanna. Like the, he Jarvis alone. This is the the barometer I keep going back to. Jarvis alone is a more interesting arm than any arm they got back at the 2017 deadline. Mm-hmm. Like for me, and that and that that's the that's the end of it basically. Yeah, can't argue with that. And and like you said, I mean, it's it's in return for Marcana. You know, Marcana has yep. marginally more value than you know Dominic Leone, but in in reality, you know, it's an older guy, like you said, on a one year deal. The Brewers are getting a couple of weeks of production out of him, so you're obviously not getting you know their. Uh, the sad thing <laughs> is that he's a huge upgrade for them because their lineup has been so <laughs> horrible. But like, yeah, yeah. This is this is good. This is a good yeah. move. Yep. Um. Next up, Tommy Pham. We knew that he was going to be traded because they just have to. Mm-hmm. Um. Mets traded him to the Diamondbacks in exchange for Jeremy Rodriguez, a shortstop from the Dominican Summer League. Uh, Rodriguez was Arizona's top signing earlier this season. They signed him to a 1.2 million dollar deal back in January. Um. His age 16 slash 17 season was this year. Um, he hit 256, 371, 393 with six doubles, two triples, two homers, 12 stolen bases in 70 attempts, and 21 walks to 26 strikeouts with the DSL Arizona Black team. And he's played in three games now with the DSL Mets Orange, and he is currently hitting 250, 400, 625 with a double, a triple, two walks, and no strikeouts. And pretty much like everyone else in the DSL, you know, Rodriguez is 95% projection. Um, he's an athletic six foot 170 pounds, so there's room to grow, there's room to add muscle. He has a nice swing. Uh, it's a smooth, compact, left-handed swing. It's really geared more for contact than for power, but he is a smart hitter. Um, a lot of line drives. He uses the entire field, so a lot of doubles, a lot of triples. His eye is really advanced for for a 16 year old, you know, 17 year old, whatever. Um, his sense of the strike zone is pretty advanced, so those things elevate the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also speedy. He uses that speed again. It elevates the bat. Um, as he ages, as he puts on more muscle, you know, the power, the home run, quote unquote, home run power should come, uh, assuming, you know, that that all that stuff does happen. Um, but if he continues on the path that he's on now, you know, a lot of a, a very good hit tool. You could see the power. You could see the, the OBP. You could see the, the speed. It's it's very easy to imagine, you know, um, a guy that might not be able to do all those things at an elite level, but doing them all at a pretty high level all at the same time. Like I, I have him on my fantasy team, like a Hassan King Kim the kind of player. He's gonna mm-hmm. hit for average, gonna hit for power, gonna get on base, steal bases. That's nice to to have to, to potentially have. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the numbers here, right? Like the D, no one has leaked, to my knowledge. I've not seen a leak of the DSL TrackMan data for Rodriguez yet. You can kind of intuit from the stat line that this is pro. Well, you can intuit. We have two bits of data here, right? We have the fact that the Mets traded 
probably the best hitter moved at the de- deadline for this guy straight up. Um, and we have his DSL stat line. And I guess the third data point is also the the type of hitters that the Mets have been targeting recently. Um, we haven't talked about this deal yet, but I think I, I suspect my sneaking suspicion is that if and when someone finally puts out those DSL trackman numbers, this is going to look very Marco Vargasy. We're going to see a dude with really high end swing decisions, really high end in zone contact, and soft some questions about his ability to impact the ball um and that's a really strong foundation to to start from right you can kind of see it in the stat line right he's not he's not hitting a jillion homers but he's walking a lot he's not striking out a lot there's and and given the 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 potential defensive projection like everything i've read suggests that he's as much a lock to stick at shortstop as any 17 year old is which is to say not really but yeah sure (laughs) um like you we can intuit what this player is even if we don't have the data and i think it's someone we'll be very excited about in six months time once that data is actually out there um so I'm almost, I'm almost reserving an opinion on this on this trade for the moment, right? Because if this just turns out to be a random DSL dude, I'm gonna be like, what the fuck? That's all you got for Tommy Pham? <laughs> yeah. Um. So it almost I, I I like have to believe there's something more here, given that the Met, given that the Mets were generally quite smart and did quite well with all their other deals. I'm assuming they didn't just do this for shits and giggles. Like there there's something here that we just haven't seen yet. Yeah, don't disagree. My only issue with this trade, and not really an issue, but I, I wish the Mets got a little bit more back for Fab. Yeah. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with Rodriguez, and I wasn't in the room. I'm not a general manager with a baseball team. I don't know what the how the markets were was looking and all that stuff, but I don't know. Getting a secondary piece would have made the deal see, seem a lot better. Look at yeah. and this happened. This happened almost ten years to the date, exact date, and the Mets are in almost the exact same situation. They had an older veteran who's having a great season out of nowhere. They were sellers at the deadline, and they traded Marlon Bird, and they got back Dilson Herrera, who's very much like Rodriguez. He was a little older at the time. He had a little bit more experience, but you know, yeah, young, I don't know. That's raw. like a comp, but yeah, sure, value wise, yeah, value wise. And then they also got back uh, Vic Black. Who was you know, interesting until his shoulder exploded. Right, right. But, you know, if there was a trade, you know, I just wish the, the Mets got back a little something extra to, to spice the trade up, to give them a little bit more insurance instead of, you know, in case Rodriguez completely flames out once he comes stateside and he realizes, like, oh, that's what a curveball looks like. Oh, that's what a changeup looks mm-hmm. like. I, I, I'm dead. I, I, I can't see that, you know? Could have gotten that, uh... Could have asked the Diamondbacks for Steven Nagosik back. Hell yeah. <laughs> or my, Michael Otanias. Both of them are currently with the Diamondbacks. <laughs> There's another Montez de Oca. Let's see if this guy's good. Christian Montez de Oca and double. Okay, no, he's not good. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> trying to come up with a quick relief prospect from the Diamondbacks that the Mets could have asked for. Uh, Austin even- Pope. There we go. Here's the name. Like, grab an interesting relief flyer. I can I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm gonna reserve I'm gonna reserve judgment really until we 
there is like zero percent chance that no one leaks the Statcast info. It'll be out there eventually. I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start digging later tonight. I have nothing else to do. That's the kind of hit up, hit up our many, many industry sources. Yeah, I'm the kind of nerd that it's a Sunday. I have nothing to do. I'm gonna start digging through DSL resources. All right, and now one last trade, the big one. Uh, was he gonna stay? Was he gonna go? You can make a convincing argument for both sides, but in the end, Mets decided to trade Justin Verlander, and they traded him back to the Astros, where he spent the last couple of seasons. And in exchange, the Mets got back probably, well, not probably two of the best, but I would say one of the best prospects that they received in any of these deals, and another pretty solid prospect. They got back Drew Gilbert. And Ryan Clifford. Mm-hmm. This is a really insanely good return, frankly. Like, I know people were were bitching and moaning a little bit because Pipeline doesn't have any Astros prospects in the top hundred. Listen to the Pipeline guys when they tell you not to use their preseason rankings. That's just not accurate anymore. <laughs> Drew Gilbert is a clear-cut top hundred prospect. Um, he had absurd minor league, or excuse me, had absurd uh, data in college. He's maintained mostly strong data throughout his first professional season. Despite playing through injury, he's holding his own at double A. He's got like a 90 weighted runs created plus, which is not fantastic. But like I said, playing through injury, there's a real projection here for a center fielder with decent power, good speed, good bat, like it's a top 50 prospect for a dude who I mean, let's be clear, right? It, it sucks to move Verlander. He's had a really good two month stretch. He's also 40 years old. The Mets are, were due to pay him 40 some odd million dollars next year. And the bottom line is that a, a uh, clear eyed assessment, clear eyed projection of his value um probably pegs him as like a number three, number four starter next year. And in exchange for that and the amount of money they pay down, the Mets got a top 50 prospect in, 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 in Gilbert and another guy who I think is a clear top hundred guy in, in uh, Clifford. Like uh, if anything, Clifford's got more hype between the two. He's exploded as an 11th round pick this year, absolutely laying waste to the minor leagues wherever he's been. He His first at bat at Brooklyn, he hit one of the longest homers you're going to see at high advanced A this season. Just just lost it. Uh, and I, I'm going to appeal to authority here, but if you have read or listened to any of Baseball Prospectus's uh, uh, trade deadline materials, Clifford was someone who got serious support for the midseason top 50. He ultimately did not make it, but that entire process occurred prior to July. And let me pull up his uh, – let me pull up Clifford's July line real quick if Chorus will load for me because I see Brian has not published the Getting to Know uh, Ryan Clifford article yet, which I only submitted last night because, you know, work. Come on, Chorus. You can do it. Need some Jeopardy music in the background here. Suffice to say, he is having a very good July. 
Um, but up, but up here. Okay, his July two ninety nine, three sixty six, six forty four with nine homers and one hundred and one plate appearances. That's a one sixty weight of runs created plus. As a dude who just turned twenty in advanced day or high A, whatever we call it now. Not bad. That's really really good. That's really good. Two ninety six BAPIP, so it's not even like he's just hitting like you know shit balls that are no. Out. He's no, hitting balls is... authority. Yep. Again, as a twenty year old. This is a guy with a, a – if you want to talk about data, he has a – I might go so far as to say elite for his age combination of in-zone contact, swing decisions, and damage on contact. It's everything you want in a hitting prospect. Now, defensively, he's going to be a corner outfielder or more likely a first baseman. But if you hit like this, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> You can be whatever you want to be. Right, right. And I, I think it might be fair to say that I'm more excited about Clifford than Gilbert. Gilbert is the better prospect at present. Um, uh, but I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that one or both of these guys could be pushing for a major league roster spot next season. Like, Gilbert's already at double A. Realistically, he he might get a little taste of AAA at the end of this season. If he starts there next year, he's pushing for a spot by midseason. Clifford, at this point, I think is going to get a touch taste of AA by the end of the year. He's going to be a 20-year-old in AA for a week or two. If he comes out next year and destroys AA, then he's also in a spot to, to start pushing for a roster spot. More reasonably 2025, but... These are two high-end offensive prospects, two top 100 prospects, relatively close to manager league ready. And the Mets got them for a 41-year-old Justin Verlander and a bunch of Steve Cohen's money. That's a trade I do every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the Twitter reactions were insane, right? Like, I was, I was talking to my buddy Ben... Uh, who who is an Astros fan and and works in in some capacity in baseball, and when the Gilbert name dropped, I'm like, oof, that's rough. Uh, sorry, but enjoy Verlander. And he's like, yeah, that's pricey, but okay. And then the Clifford name dropped. It was like, ooh, that's really bad. Like we were speculating that would be Gilbert, and then maybe someone like Spencer Arigetti. Maybe you get Luis Baez in there too. Like like one of these guys and then a combination of lower end names. Instead the Mets got the two top hundred guys in the system. Like it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. I feel that that really is why Verlander was traded. I mean, he you know, he was under contract obviously for next season. He's been doing pretty he was actually better than I realized when I sat down and looked at the stats. Not that he's been bad, but like nothing no one singular game has really stood out to me, mm. you know, and then you, you know, look at the stats. It's like, oh, damn, OK, like he's not struggling. He's doing pretty good, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the, the seller's market was just so it was just so much of a seller's market this year that you you just had to. And, you know, this Absolutely. is the type of return that, you know, this is why you had to, to get this kind of return. And the Mets, the Mets did a couple things really smartly here. The first is, to your point, like what what you just said, they leveraged the seller's market. The second, they went to the Astros, and this is an ownership-level deal. Jim Crane pretty clearly never wanted to let Justin Verlander go. 
knew his team needed starting pitching and probably overrode some people in that front office. Now their front office structure is a bit of a shit show. Um, so like they went to the right team and then they, the third thing they did is they juiced that market by trading Scherzer to the Rangers in the same division. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so basically they, they trade, I can't believe they managed to trade Max Scherzer first of all, and get a top 50 prospect. Cause Scherzer has been straight up bad. They traded Max Scherzer for a top 50 prospect, made the AOS that much more competitive, and then went to the Astros and said, all right, what are you going to do about it? Your biggest <laughs> rival just traded for a nominal top-of-the-rotation starter, who actually isn't, but whatever. We have your former ace. We're going to pay down a bunch of his money. You want him? And the dysfunctional front office of the – or the somewhat dysfunctional front office of the Astros were like, yep. Here you go. Here's Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. It's the new market inefficiency, you know, setting up uh, false flag operations to destroy other divisions. Uh, it was all Max Scherzer. The Max Scherzer trade was a psyop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, great return. Justin Verlander, we thank you for your six weeks of service, eight weeks of service. Whatever it was. Whatever it was. Like I, can, I have no ill will towards either Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer, right? Like, if anything, I respect both. Like, Verlander was very complimentary of the Mets on the way out. Um, Scherzer less so, but I don't begrudge them for looking at themselves and saying, all right, I am 38 or 40 years old, and I'm at the end of a Hall of Fame career. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. I want to be in a spot where I'm pushing for a title before I have to hang my cleats up. And the Mets, to their credit, facilitated that with a shit ton of money and also made their – like everyone won here, right? Mm-hmm. Like every, everyone won here. It was definitely definitely the right move, the right time, right guys. I, I I I would grade it an A plus trade I guess I mean really the the only conceivably better return would have been if the Orioles wanted to go all in and put someone like Kobe Mayo on the table and reading between the lines it seems like they were involved I don't know what names were on the table um Verlander says he never used his no trade. He was never asked to waive it for another team. So I don't know if he was the one who said, no, I want to go to Houston instead of Baltimore. Um, but ultimately, I, 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 the return is commensurate, right? Like it's not it's not as if the let's presume for a second that the Orioles did actually put Kobe Mayo on the table. It's not if it's the, it's not as if the Mets did drastically worse. And they sent the veteran that they signed to a huge deal at the end of his career to his preferred destination. Like, that carries some goodwill with players. There's some level of Mm -hmm. value to that. And they still got two top 100 guys. It's fine. Yep. So all in all, how would you – what letter grade would you give the Mets trade deadline? I mean, we also have to uh, – they also acquired, you can't forget, Phil Bickford and uh, Adam Kolarik. So factoring yeah, that in. <laughs> <laughs> For cash. Kolarik I have no thoughts on, but I actually like Bickford a bit. Um, yeah, he's actually an interesting 
It's an interesting reclamation project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For just money, because the Dodgers have 10 guys that are better. Um, so it's a little funny, because I was... I was uh, kind of flipping through because I, I, every every year I write like a grading the Mets offseason series of articles and then come to a final grade. And I was flipping through these articles and realizing that I generally give out pretty high grades on the overall body of work for the Mets. And sitting there thinking to myself, like, am I too rosy eyed in my assessments here? Uh, am I giving the Mets too much credit? Because it sure doesn't ever seem to work out. Um, and I and I have to evaluate that more as I go into the like I I was going and going to go into this off season and say I'm going to try to be more critical and grade more on a curve and actually use the whole scale. And then the Mets go out and have like the best trade deadline of any team in the last decade. It's like there's nothing you can say. It's like they they got, I would say, and we'll have this discussion next week. They got four top hundred prospects, three of whom I would stuff in the top fifty, for three arms thirty eight years or older, while also parlaying several other veterans into interesting pieces throughout the rest of the system. They weren't yeah. afraid to eat money. They recognize the reality of their roster. There's, like, there's nothing you can complain about. This is an incredible deadline. They, they did everything right. It's it's nice to see for a change. Yeah, I mean, we could be talking about them sending Nuri's Familia to Boston, not eating any <laughs> money, and getting back Sean Callahan, Steven Nagosik, and Gerson Bautista, or... Uh, Eric Hanhold for Neil Walker or uh, Jacob Rain for Curtis Granderson or Drew Smith for Lucas Duda. Like, Billy Wagner he... for Chris Carter. That's a that's a throwback. Oh, and man, then not I getting for... and then not getting the comp pick as a result. Oh, I totally forgot about <laughs> that. That one was real. And for those of you too young to remember back then, like you got back then the qualifying offer was not nearly as painful as it is now, right? It was a lot easier to get a type a type B reward without having to pay a guy $19 million um, or whatever the QO is this year. The, the Mets usually fuck up royally in these deals and they did everything you could possibly want them to do as a fan. They did not target low upside relief help to retool for next year. They didn't dump money just to dump money. They got high-end returns. They sent out money, and they did this with a clear-eyed assessment of where the roster currently is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago at this point, like maybe three weeks ago, I guess, we, we all did our you know um, official, unofficial mid-season top 10 prospect list Mm -hmm. and i started to do it and i said i don't even want to do this because this system is so bad i just i'm not doing this Mm -hmm. and i didn't which is a cop-out sorry for the rest of you guys but i'm allowed now i'm excited next week we're gonna you know do another one because i i guess it was kind of a uh foolhardy thing to literally 
reorder your your minor league system, whatever, the week before the trading deadline. But yep. <laughs> now lesson learned. Uh, yes, lesson learned. We'll now do it after I, the trade deadline next <laughs> next year. I'm very excited to do it now because there's so much talent. Um, it's there's still enough flexibility that you could say I value this guy over and over. You know, it's not like every single one of us is going to have the exact same list in the exact same order, one to ten. There is enough variance in everybody and our own opinions and whatnot on the players that it'll make it fun because there will be differences of opinion and everything. So, you know, this is traded for at minimum, and I know we'll have disagreements. I do not think there is any way you cannot take full at a minimum four of the guys they acquired and have them in your top ten. Like mm-hmm. I, now I'm going to have four of them in my top five. Spoiler alert! I don't know <laughs> that everyone's going to go that far, but forty percent of a new top ten, and that's without discussing all the other interesting dudes they added. Like yep. And the best part about it, I think, you know, as a personal. From within, Luis Angel Acuna, five foot eight. Drew Gilbert, five foot nine. They are Jeff Williams, the short five game. foot six. Yep. We have a a short top. <laughs> we have a short top ten. Marco Vargas even, is a little bit taller. Even even Kevin Parada, who's I would say in everybody's you know is going to be in everyone's top ten, five uh, eleven. That's a little tall for my liking here, but mm-hmm. that's still under six feet. How tall is Marco Vargas? I don't have it in front of me. Uh, six foot even. Six foot. Okay, yeah. and then Clifford. Clifford's a big boy. He's like six three. Mm-hmm. He is six three, two hundred. But yeah, it's it's uh they they took a system that was. And we're gonna get yelled at about this because everyone always does yell at us about this. They took a system that was, at best, bottom seven. I would go further to say bottom five or even lower in baseball and now have a system that's probably in the 10 to 15 range, 10 to 12 mm-hmm. range, something Don't somewhere in there. That's that's huge. Yep. Literally li- literal transformation overnight. And to reemphasize the point we made after the draft. This is all really good. I think we generally thought the draft was pretty good. None of it matters if they can't fix the dev. It all comes back to that now. You have you you've got good talent in the door. What do you make of it? Very good point. Yes. Here's hoping. We've been hoping for a long while, Steve. <laughs> well, he's really hoping. <laughs> I mean, we have we have the parts now. We didn't mm-hmm. necessarily have all the parts before, but now we have the parts. Let's let's mm-hmm. make something good. Yeah, next year. I mean, I think we talked about we talked about this earlier. Like the it's going to be a transition year. I don't know what's going to happen with Pete. In like the the clearest eyed assessment, like a uh, investing in a right right first baseman long term isn't always a great idea. But I I kind of think Cohen's gonna keep him around unless someone blows their pants off. They're gonna be building around Alvarez and Lindor and Alonso, and hopefully Beatty figures it out. And Nimmo's here for the long haul. They'll take a year to step back, 
aim for the wild card, let some money fall off their books, take some gambles, and let some of these prospects percolate up the system and be in a much stronger place for 2025. And look, they still might just make the wild card and have some crazy shit happen next year. That That's baseball. Is there a chance? Let me look at the standings. There's no they chance. They make it this year? No. Yeah. <laughs> this year, everyone should now switch over from looking at the wild card rankings to the tankathon. Because the that's Mets, what I've been, yeah. Yeah. The Mets really need to have a top six pick. Um, because that means their draft pick doesn't drop 10 spots as a penalty for how much they spent. They're currently at the, uh, they're currently with the ninth worst record overall. They're one game ahead. That will not do. Yeah, they can, they can keep, I mean, they've lost five in a row. They can get below Pittsburgh and Detroit. The Cardinals have been playing better of late as well. They can get below them. And then you're at six. The Nationals can't have a top six pick, so you're effectively at five. Like, they, they can get down to where they have 40-ish percent odds of picking in the top six and, and not seeing their draft pick fall significantly in the first round. So that that's what we should be rooting for for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's not fun to watch, but, it, you know, it's like medicine. Your medicine tastes bad, but ultimately mm-hmm. you need to take it to get better. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to watch the Mets lose, but at the end of the day, it, it's it's kind of better. You know, it's – here's the thing. They're losing anyway. Exactly. We can lose with a – A goal, a purpose, a, a, a vision yeah. in mind. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Man, what a what a week. We've had worse weeks. Well, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm saying what a week is in. It, it's been a good week. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send us an e- email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. We are Patreon-based, so if you do like our podcast or any of the other ones that are in the Homer and Apple Network, you can subscribe for $5 a month. And uh, we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.